When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on curse words around kiddos, putting step-parents on the wedding invitations, a follow-up to last week's lunch date dilemma, and pre-cutting your meat before the meal. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about what to do with a wedding gift from a badly behaved guest. Plus, your most excellent feedback, and this week it is indeed excellent etiquette salute and a postscript segment where lizzie shares a little something that she's been working on part of the coming 20th edition of etiquette all that's coming up awesome etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in vermont and is proud to be produced by the emily post institute i'm lizzie post and i'm dan post senning hey cuz how's it going (laughs) It's going. <laughs> I feel like this is always like the end of the summer craziness, you know, where you're you're both trying to enjoy because you know you can feel the cooler mornings starting to happen. It's you know winding that, down. That it's winding down. You know, I, I this is. I will use the word. I hate bringing this up every single summer. I tell Dan, no, we can't talk about the weather starting to change. I'm braving it this year. But it it does kind of have that feel. I'm starting to do things like get my canning efforts together, you know, and and wanting to make sure I get out to certain places, you know, one last time or maybe a, a, a time before. So, yeah, no, it's it's got that feeling to summer. <laughs> I, I was going to say happy Friday. We're recording on a Friday, but it's kind of the Friday of the year in some ways. <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's like the end of the week. It's about to transition. You kind of feel the week winding down a little so bit, you but feel, you're not you feel there like yet. This is it, man. <laughs> Dan took us to like a plunging off the <laughs> cliff face. I like the, the weekend. Friday I like the of summer. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, well, what have you guys been up to? What's been going on in your world? Oh, so much. It's been awesome. Um, I am so excited. This afternoon, my parents bring home their new puppy. So we have a oh. a social distance gathering plan down on their lawn for all of the granddaughters <laughs> to meet Ernie, the little blonde lab puppy, who I think is all of eight weeks right now. Oh, wow. That'll be, I'm sure, overwhelming for all. <laughs> I'm crawling out of my skin. I can't wait. I've been waiting for this day for like you know, months now, and I'm trying to get the girls excited. They don't get it yet. I'm just like, you're going to have the cutest little puppy in your wife, and you're going to love him so much. (laughs) 
That's very, very exciting. Well, I'm I'm happy to welcome Ernie to the Greater Post family. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. As well, as well. So there was an etiquette thought that I connected to thinking about our little gathering this afternoon. And yeah. we, we had a little gathering last weekend also, I think sort of feeling the end of summer and some, some good old friends who we hadn't seen in six months came and visited for a social distance swim in the pond. And it was so much fun. We had such a good time. And when it was over, everybody had left. Pooja turned to me and she says, you know, I really like entertaining with COVID-19 rules. <laughs> really? And I sort of looked I feel at like her. like a lot of people are not having that experience. I know. And here's, yeah. what, here's what the follow-up so thought I'm curious. Yeah, what's she embracing? I didn't have to do anything. They never even came inside our house. <laughs> everyone brought their own food. Everyone brought their own entertainment. Everyone brought their own beer. Everyone so took care second, of themselves. I feel like, do we need to, does Pooch knows picnics exist? Because that's like exactly, you're describing like a picnic or, or inviting people to go to like a park location, you know? And like like organizing, entertaining that kind of way. Maybe what Pooja is figuring out is that that's more her entertaining style. That that's like the style that gets her jazzed and excited about getting together with people. She likes that social environment so much. She's a much more social person than me, and I yeah. do think things that make it easier to get in that space um, are she gravitates towards. That. Absolutely, yeah. totally. Well, then that makes sense that COVID entertaining would be something she's she's enjoying. <laughs> so so this was kind of an etiquette thought that was in my mind. And then I read the article that you added to our newsletter about COVID entertaining. And there was a mm-hmm. an item on it that was about the new acceptability of BYOB or just BYO <laughs> everything. I was going to say, and it has, it's in America. I just do want to give a shout out. I've seen some articles recently about different cultures and the idea of whether or not you would ever ask people to bring food food or bring something or whether you always host and and that it is different all throughout different social groups and different cultures but it is okay it's not like it's not okay there are places for it if it's done well right of course and those are very popular entertaining styles (laughs) let's just say that um having that be the default setting has provided a certain ease in some ways yeah Yeah, no, I could imagine that. I could imagine that. Audience, I'm curious, what have been your entertaining experiences during COVID? And are you enjoying the kind of BYOB and and separateness of it all? Or does it feel like a pain and you miss being able to kind of be closer and have those big grazing tables and (laughs) things like that? I'm curious how people are feeling about it and what their experience with entertaining has been. Well, and it's nice to take care of guests. There is a certain... It is. I I like providing food, offering a little refreshment when someone's not expecting it. And I'm not denying any of that. I'm maybe sort of looking for a little ease in the moment. (laughs) Well, Dan, I definitely appreciate the encouragement uh, to sort of embrace what what I think could be looked at as a difficult, you know, uh, social situation, but instead really embrace and, and get it to a positive space. But we could also think of our sustaining members as guests over on our Patreon platform. And I know that you have some really cool news to announce before we dive into some questions. I do. And this is something that's kind of been brewing for a couple of weeks. And it started when I discovered that our the feed for our podcast had been limited to 200 episodes just as a default setting. So when we would tell people, oh, go back and listen to the archive as we got past show 
200, the very first show started to fall out of availability on most podcast players. So we removed that limit. The complete archive is now available. But it got me thinking about our archive and about our patrons over on Patreon, where we don't have the complete archive. And to move our archive over to Patreon takes a little bit of doing. You actually have to transfer all the files. But we've been in doing that. And the benefit of it is that we now are starting to populate Patreon with an ads-free version of our archive. We started on Wednesday with episode one. Today, Friday, episode two comes up. But I wanted to make an announcement about it on the show. We're tagging those posts as archive. So you can go to Patreon and click the archive tag box and you'll get all those archive shows in order. If you're getting the feed sent directly to a podcast player, you're going to see a couple extra shows each week that are going to have really early episode numbers on them. And I wanted to just put a little heads up out there so people would know exactly what it is. There's no way to separate the archive shows from the new shows. So you can continue to count on your new show every Monday, your bonus question every Monday, sustaining members. But also keep an eye open because a couple other days a week we're going to be um, releasing that archive show by show until it is up there in its entirety. Awesome. I was so glad when you when you broke with that news. <laughs> I know it's it's something that I'm really excited about and it's got me listening to the really old shows again. I'm having that experience of going back through our archive the way listeners sometimes describe. And there are a couple other things going on with the show. Last week, we talked about the new website that Lizzie and I are working on and the way we're building a home for awesome etiquette there. And one of the things that has already developed out of that project is that we will be having original pages for every show. And in thinking about what to put on that show, there's a piece of feedback we've been getting for years, and that's that audience members would really appreciate transcripts of these shows. And we've started to generate transcripts beginning last week, episode 309. And it's not a perfect transcript. It's computer generated. But it really is remarkably good. It gives a real sense for the show. You can use it to navigate the show. You can scroll through the transcript and jump by clicking on the text to different places in the recording. It's a feature that is something we've really wanted for a long time and we are so excited to be launching it that we're not waiting till the new site is available to tell you about it. It is so awesome and we are so excited to offer this. You can access the transcripts by going to emilypost.com slash awesome etiquette and right on that homepage for the show, we're going to have the links to the transcripts until you'll be viewing them over at our new site in hopefully a month or two. <laughs> I think a month, a month. I think it's safe. We can a month? say that. A month? Okay. Okay. I didn't want to pressure. <laughs> but Dan, thank you for those updates. Uh, I am really excited for our sustaining members to have access to the entire archive um, and for these transcripts to be available. So we're really thrilled to continue pushing what we're able to offer for awesome etiquette. Well, don't you think we should offer up some questions so we've got something to transcribe? Hey, it wouldn't be this show without a great pun with our transition. So let's get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, 
we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. first question is titled curse words and kiddos hi lizzie and dan when addressing the use of bad language around a child are there different phrases or conversations that would be appropriate for different people family friends acquaintances etc and what would i say if i meet pushback oh he's too young to understand it's fine thank you as always Anne. and isn't it funny how much they actually understand it it really amazes me um and That would be my first thought is just the sample script. Oh, boy, I'm consistently surprised at how much she, he is picking up all the time. Right? (laughs) As a parent, you know your child better than anyone. Or there's a good chance you know your child better than anyone. And you're also more responsible for that child than anyone. As a parent, you get to set boundaries. In fact, that's one of your biggest, most important jobs. Part of that boundary setting is that you get to talk to other adults who are in your child's world about what your expectations for them are. And for most people, that's going to set expectations for their behavior around the child. If that doesn't work, you have some latitude to talk to other people about their behavior. Usually in etiquette, we say, "Uh, you're really careful, proceed with caution. You really want to think about how you can adjust everything that you're doing. And that is going to be part of this answer as well. But I do want to just give you the the basic off-the-top advice that it is okay to say something and it is going to sound different with different people because every relationship is different. Exactly. For instance, at home with 
I want to say all the other people who may parent this child, um, you know, including uh, older siblings who might be around, mm-hmm. you know, old enough who, who use this language, whether they should or shouldn't. Those are conversations that I think just might have that more personal aspect to it of, you know, we all live in this house or we're all the people in my, you know, our, our child's life weekly. I really want to work on this. So I hope you'll just understand if you hear me making a lot of of little corrections or reminders about it as we all try to get in the good habit. Um, I think that's the kind of conversation you have with those people who you're up really up close with and who spend a lot of time with your child. I think that with friends, you know, this is where, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not a parent. I've <laughs> done a lot of the babysitting. <laughs> I've got a niece and nephew. But I think that with friends, you might make decisions. You know, how far away was your kid when a swear was issued? And do you say something before friends come over or do you make a correction and say the thing just when you see it as a problem? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one thing you don't speak up about, but when the word starts being used, you know, frequently, um, and, and maybe sometimes even as people get more comfortable as they're relaxing, you know, that kind of thing, you decide to make a reminder. You say, I really should have said something before, but we're actually really trying to curb our language around Jackson, you know, and it's just to try to get into the good habit of it. Any help you can give or any help you can, you know, provide or any support you can provide in that would be great while you're hanging out around him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the kinds of ways that you can tap into that. With acquaintances, that's where, I, I don't know, Dan, I would I would really pick and choose the moments, you know, especially if it's like, if I'm at the, I, I don't know, I could imagine like running into someone at the grocery store and maybe they're having a day or it's just slipping their mind and they they drop a word in front of, you know, your child, that's a moment where I might be surprised, but I might not make an actual correction, you know? Yep. Like, and trust, that's the moment where your child looks up and says, she said a bad word. Uh Like, you know, and Uh you're like, oh, I don't need to say anything. Junior did it for me. (laughs) Like, I agree. If it's a one-off, I think it's hard because it's like you're chasing the mistake. And... I think things like this work so much better when it's about anticipating. I loved your advice. If it's someone who you see regularly who this comes up with, giving them a little heads up ahead of time. I loved the sample language when you talked about talking to the person who was very close, who was involved a lot. And particularly, I like the idea of setting them up to be ready for your little reminders because yeah. for some people that <laughs> language is unconscious or it's just not something they're used to thinking about because they're not yeah. as focused as you are on the presence of kids. And those reminders might really be a part of building that new habit and setting that boundary. So setting someone up with a little prep for those things that are likely to be coming I think is so wise. The other thought that I had was if you did go the route with an acquaintance or a friend who you see less frequently, who it doesn't happen as much with, that I would think of limiting myself to mentioning it twice. That if you say something That's a good and they can't self, fix it, self rule. Yeah. Maybe you give yourself one more mention and then after that, maybe you say, I'm gonna take control of the things I have more control over, which would be to excuse yourself or your child and it depends on how bad it is, how egregious it is, what it is exactly that they're picking up, how those words are being used. I got to thinking as I was thinking about this question about my father, some four-letter words I knew not to <laughs> use, but they were – I could get away with it. 
but uh-huh. boy, others were really <laughs> take the Lord's name in vain, and he would get really upset. And like that, that yeah. that was a line in our house that I knew that yeah, a friend might or might not, or might be a different line in a different house. So speaking up and defining those lines for people is part of your job, and also being aware those lines are different for different people is part of your job. Dan, I really like your kind of with acquaintances or friends um, doing a like two reminders and then leaving it at that. And I think a good transition point is to use it as an opportunity to talk to your kid about why you choose not to use that language or remind them, say, you know, I know you heard some words from so and so this afternoon, but I just want to remind you those aren't words that we're trying to encourage. Those aren't words we want to be using. They're words we try not to use. And so I don't want you to to hear our friends doing it and think that they're bad or think that it's okay for us either. And just, you know, figuring out the language for you that makes sense, obviously. Mine, mine wasn't that good that time. But, it, <laughs> it, it, um, but I think you get the idea that you can also use that as a, as a reminder of the things that you guys choose not to do as a family. A parting thought that I sometimes have when I think about adult language in kids is that we call it adult language for a reason. And yeah, <laughs> it, it might be really useful just to have that that distinction and that line, that language in your mind when you're having these discussions, because part of what keeps that language impactful is that we do reserve it for certain circumstances and situations. And thank you so much for this question. We hope our answer helps. You realize that it's the simple things, being friendly, thinking of the other person and showing respect that make up everyday courtesy. Our next question is about a wedding invitation quandary. What is the proper wording on a wedding invitation when the bride's stepmother does not use the same last name as the bride's father? I am the mother of the bride and am also remarried. However, I use my husband's last name. I originally thought only my name and my husband's name were the only parents' names that were going to be on the invitation. I now find out that the bride's father wants all four names, parents and step-parents, on the invitation. Most websites state that traditionally only the parents' names appear on the invitation, not step-parents. My daughter originally only wanted my name and her father's name on the invitation. When the engagement announcement appeared in the newspaper, the stepmother was upset that her name was not mentioned. My husband's name was not mentioned either, and he was fine with that. Now, my daughter doesn't want to upset her dad, and I am at a quandary about this. I feel three different last names is going to be too much on a formal invitation. Anonymous. Anonymous. There's a, a lot to unpack here. One of the, the places where I can see, I don't want to describe it this way, but it is the image in my head is a battle brewing, is between the idea of what you have to work with with your family and the family of the, the couple and the websites you're searching and the, the content that you're sourcing for traditional etiquette standards. And I hope that our answer can blend the two for you so you could be at a really happy place because I feel like we have a really easy fix. If you're able to join us in the space that the, the fix exists and that space is is one of inclusion. And for a long time, a long, long time, um, long enough that I would start to consider this advice traditional now, we have sought to include step-parents as long as the person getting married was really comfortable with it and had a good relationship with that person. And it's really important to 
remember that so much of etiquette is based in making people feel comfortable and helping to have good interactions with them. And this is an opportunity for you to create exactly that within your family. I can hear you saying, you know, well, my husband's name wasn't mentioned and he was fine with that. And it's totally okay that he was fine with that. But the stepmom wasn't. It hurt her feelings. And she has a relationship with the bride. And I think that's important to recognize and say that even if it's if it's not one that you would have seen as as standard and what you're used to seeing in those announcements, it is one that would be completely typical today. Very often, step-parents are mentioned in these types of things. Blended families make up so many of American families that we see all kinds of different versions with multiple names. Um, one of my nearest and dearest, their entire family has a, has a, a three-last-name sort of system that they use when they identify themselves because all three of those last names are present in their little family unit. And so, again, etiquette really today is about being inclusive and finding ways to support the family that you do have and not let, oh, I want to say, the, the idea of design make us cut people out of things. I want instead to say, of course you can put all four people with the three different last names on this invitation, this formal, beautiful invitation to what is probably going to be an incredible wedding. It's perfectly acceptable. And I think it's just, it's great that Emily Post is in a place with etiquette today where we can say that with a lot of confidence and with years of experience behind seeing it happen. I so appreciate that thought. I, I'm curious what, Give me an example. What might that look like? So to get to the example, so you would have you, the mother of the bride, and uh, your husband, the bride's stepfather, on the first line. We always have the mother of the bride on that first line for a wedding invitation. And your names as you prefer them. And then the next line down belongs to the father of the bride and his partner or spouse, so in this case, the, the bride's stepmother, and their names would go as they prefer them. So you would have um, Mr. Father of the Bride and Ms. Stepmother and last name. Then the next line down belongs to the mother of the groom and the stepfather, if there's a stepfather or stepmother in that situation. And then the father of the groom and his spouse, if he is married or his partner, if they are on the invitation as well. So that's how you would do this. And we say married, and you noticed in the last one I said, or partner. Long-established partner is also okay in this circumstance when uh, they may not. I, th I think of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. They never got married, but of course they're the parents. You would, of course, have their names there. You know what I mean? Um, and so this is the way we try to be inclusive is that we respect people's names. We respect the relationships um, and we find a way for order. But families are large now. You know, parents and supporters and hosts, there sometimes are multiple people on this. And it, it really is OK to embrace it, even for formal occasions. It's funny just looking at it on the paper, there's room for eight. <laughs> and and I say to myself, that's nice. And then any point of the, any portion of that grid could get reduced down. You could have yes. if if parents weren't divorced, they would occupy the same line. And you just people could could appear or not. But you have an option for placing eight people with that structure. The big picture etiquette thought that came to me as I was thinking about all this was sort of a it was a two parter. And 
I like letting you answer etiquette questions about weddings first because you have a fuller take and I really appreciate hearing that. Mine was so reductionist. I was saying hosts get to choose who's on the invite. So in this particular case, your hosts is some combination of the couple that are getting married and the parents that are helping pay for it. And usually, yeah, it sounds like there's a pretty strong preference among sort of multiple parties there for including broadly all of the parents and step parents. And then the, the second consideration is that people get to decide what they're called and that those are the two big decisions. Who's going to be on it? And then you find out how they like to be addressed. And that's what you do. And that to me really simplifies things. But I. I like the fuller picture because it makes me feel better. Well, Anonymous, we hope our answer has you feeling better and feeling formal with this invitation. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? Our next question is about a lunch date dilemma, and this is the in-law edition. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks, as always, for a great show. I so enjoy the listener questions every week and for your thoughtful response. I have a follow-up question to one of the questions and answers from episode 309, where the listener always felt like her friend was hanging back and somewhat expecting her to pay for meals, coffee, and other dining experiences. My question is... How do I navigate this with my in-laws, who often invite our family out for lunch or dinner? On the one hand, they're doing the inviting 98% of the time. On the other hand, it's just two of them, and there are seven of us with small children but still outbalanced. And on the other hand, third hand, they have established careers and stable income while my husband and I make a bit less than they do. It's simply not in our budget to go out to eat as often as they invite us, but I feel terrible hanging back and letting my mother-in-law pay, and I've kind of sensed from her a desire that I at least occasionally offer to pay, though she has never actually said anything. Thoughts, Rachel. Ooh. <laughs> this is a good follow-up, Dan. What do you think? It is a good follow-up. And this question references our question from last week about someone who ran into a frequent lunch date often hanging back, and it was a professional relationship. And the advice that we gave was broad. We talked about options for um, how you would handle this if you were a very close friend and you wanted to talk to them about it or some more kind of – what I call the practical solutions, things you could do in the moment that would make it easier for different people to pay or for the reality of the shared nature of the event to be something both people were aware of. This situation is one where you have no option to introduce distance because these are in-laws. They're people that you're very close to. They're people that are inviting you out regularly and that you like spending time with. That's going to push our answer to this question into that category or that end of the spectrum that says you have to engage and have a, a decent and respectful, realistic, open, honest conversation with your in-laws. And there are a couple of very practical things you can do as well that I think will help. Because before I get into it a, a whole lot, sort of opening thoughts, what, what, what are you thinking here? 
I'm thinking, yes, conversation is a good way to go. I'm thinking I am the the style of person who would just lay it all out there and, and you know, pull my mother-in-law aside at some point and say, you know, Beth, I've been meaning to ask you about this because I never quite know what to do and I want to get it right or I at least want to know what you all are thinking and expecting. But you offer to take us out or you, you invite us out to dinner so often and I never know whether we should offer to pay for all the kids or if it's your treat as parents and I never want to abuse the treats and like not offer enough but I just I I, I thought I should just talk to you about it rather than sitting there and wondering and worrying all the time and that opens up a space for a conversation and it's to me it's the place of being honest with what I have been doing which is like this is silly. I should just talk to you about it rather than wonder about it, you know, um, or if especially if I'm not going to just start making the offer to pay regularly or I really don't feel like I can. She might say, you know, I really appreciate you talking about that. It's always been our treat and we really look at it that way. But thank you for thinking of it. Or she might say, you know, it's really nice that you bring that up. I, I, I it it did start to feel a little awkward, but I know we were doing the inviting, and so I didn't know how to handle it either. It might give her room to say something she wasn't sure about um, based on her own behavior and the way she presents it to you. And so that you, you just you never know when you open things up and you just admit kind of what's been going on for you, what can come out. From the other the other side of the conversation. No, I, I want and I want to hold on to that thought about being prepared for what you hear. Yeah, because you never know. <laughs> and, and also, it might not go so sweetly. <laughs> yes, and but, but but it might. I mean, I think usually our our anticipation of the bad is greater than the reality. Most people are trying to do as as well as they can. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing I wouldn't necessarily say in that conversation, I would be very open about the realities of the finances, the logistics, the numbers. The one direction I would try not to go, in fact, I would limit myself before I went into that conversation, is I wouldn't mention my sense that you're feeling a desire from her that you pay more or take more of that responsibility. I'd, I'd leave that particular thought unspoken. Because that's a that's an assumption. That's a you're not sure. Like you can sense it, but you don't know for real. And it's it's often best not to lean into that. <laughs> but it's one of those senses I would also listen to because oftentimes our intuition or our sense about those things sometimes is coming from the other person. Sometimes it's coming from an internal place. And I wanted yeah. to honor that feeling of wanting to participate in the inviting in the structuring of this relationship by saying. Think of the hosting duty as something that you can reciprocate without inviting to take them out for a meal. Yep. That it is okay to invite them to do things that fit within your budget. In fact, it's the responsible thing to do. It's probably what they would want you to do. Uh, Lizzie mentioned a picnic earlier or meeting (laughs) at a park where the kids can swing and you can sit around and have iced teas or you cook them a meal at your home. And yeah, I like that idea of bringing something that is within your within your vein, but it's still an offering. You know, it's it's still taking care of someone in a way that a host would. And you take responsibility for initiating, for mm-hmm. getting the kids and the in-laws together. You um, take some of that, that responsibility for just organizing it. And that's part of the – I don't call it the burden of the host, but the role of the host and sharing that role even if you're not – 50-50 sharing all of the expenses in the relationship is a way to, to take some responsibility and maybe address that little voice that you're hearing. That's that 
expressing a desire for you to do more. I want to give Rachel some advice, though, for if the response is, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because I've been meaning to talk to you. I I have been disappointed that you guys never offer to pay. And that's where, Rachel, you can then go into, I'm so sorry. Clearly, I was unsure of what what was expected. And let's instead then, and then you can move into some of the suggestions that that Dan has said. You can bring up whether budget is a thing. I mean, whether you talk about that with your in-laws is, is up to you, clearly. Um, but immediately getting from the place of this experience isn't going well for us, let's find one that will work for us then, um, where both parties start to feel the reciprocity. I like that. Rachel, thank you for the follow-up on last week's question and for giving us a chance to dive a little deeper into a more specific example. Learning to take care of family obligations in early years is easy. After all, it's only a matter of getting into a pattern of good living habits. Once they become habits, you needn't worry about them. Take care of your obligations now. And when you meet the responsibilities of adult life, you'll find that they will take care of you. Our next question is titled Pre-Meal Meat Cutting. Good evening. I'm trying to find the origins to an etiquette rule. Why is it considered rude to cut up all of one's meat at the start of a meal? My husband and I were discussing this today at lunch. Thank you, V. Lane. Oh, V. Lane, this is a classic all kinds of different reasons, and I think some of them are more about the food and others are more about, I think, impressions. And so you can decide which might be more important. But the reason for the food is that you don't want to, um, if especially if it's like a piece of meat, you don't want it to dry out. And I think that that's and, – and cool off. And so it as it's one chunk, it stays warmer together. And I would imagine that's actually true for something like a lasagna, even if it doesn't have meat in it or something like that. But yeah, often it's just about that the food tastes better if you don't do it. I think that's the practical reason number one. (laughs) I'll let you give the reason that people can debate. (laughs) Well, reason number two kind of um, falls from reason number one that if there's something uh, sort of sophisticated about enjoying your food by keeping the meat hot and maybe even just cooking just perfectly as it reposes on your plate – Um, There's something a little childish about preparing that whole plate of food at the start of the meal and then just using one utensil to get through it. And it's it's just a silly impression. But because so many people have witnessed or had the experience of preparing a plate of food for a child where you cut it all up into bites that they can manage and then you let them go at it with just a fork or a spoon – it can create a similar type of impression if an adult yeah. approaches their dinner plate the same way. And that is pretty much it. That's like that's mm-hmm. it on that particular topic. <laughs> Audience, we would love to hear your thoughts. Do you think it looks childish? Do you think that it's that it's not um, refined dining if you're cutting up your entire plate of food before eating it? And what do you feel about the exception of a salad, which sometimes gets a couple of big cross hatches, especially if it's a if it's big leaf lettuce, and then you do put your your knife down and eat the rest of it? There are some interesting questions about the cutting of food. 
oh, Lizzie Post, you're just trying to get this as complicated as you possibly can by taking us to another course. This question specifically said, is it rude to cut up one's meat at the start of All a right. meal? All right. All right. Well, V. Lane, we will leave it with meat for today. But thank you so much for giving us a chance to explore the question. And whenever you're buying meat, it's important that you know about two things in particular, about the meat quality, and then it's important that you know about the cut of meat that you buy. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are awesomeetiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, including our entire archive. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we are going to be reading some of your three-word responses. Thank you so much for sending these in. I'm so glad people wrote in with these. Liz writes, this was so hard. I will try to send it now before I overthink it. Number one, humorous. Number two, observant. And number three, critical. Number two, being observant, I really like. Number one, being humorous, I'm trying to work on. I'm eager to see here what you have in store for us next, Dan. Liz. Liz, thank you for sharing. When I see that your third word is critical and you start your feedback with, this was so hard, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Applying that critical eye to yourself is so hard. <laughs> Who do we have next? Um, next, we hear from... Shauna. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Shauna calling from Reno, and Shauna left us a voicemail. I just listened to episode 306 with the little postscript with a challenge to describe yourself in three words. I chewed on it a lot on the drive home. I ended up coming up with fun, classy, weirdo. Thanks for the challenge. Take care. Okay, I think that's the first weirdo I've ever heard. And also, I gotta say, those three make me really want to hang out with Shauna. (laughs) Our next one came from Debbie. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Love your postscript this week. My three words, honest, determined, and kind. My life mate's three words, mechanical, logical, earthy. Best Debbie. Oh, those are six good words. (laughs) Mechanical and earthy. I like it. I like it. I also am, I keep being like, yes, I want to hang out with our audience. When, When we're able to one day, we need to do some kind of a big live event. I feel like All our awesome people need to meet. (laughs) It would be fun. Oh, thank you all for sending us your thoughts and updates. And please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. 
It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week, we're going to take a sneak peek into the work Lizzie Post is doing writing the 20th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. This is certainly no final draft, but we wanted to give you a peek into it. It's true. This definitely isn't a final draft, so I wouldn't I wouldn't hold me to any of this staying in the book that you all end up with two year a year and a half from now, I think it is. Ironclad contract is all I can <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> Editing is real. Caitlin, where are you? Caitlin is our editor over at Ten Speed Press. And she's also a fan of the Awesome Etiquette podcast. I'll say she listens regularly. <laughs> Um, but Dan, I, I was really glad about three episodes back when you encouraged a sharing of a section of the book. It made me feel really proud because it made me think that whatever it was you had read at that point, you felt confident enough in to want to share with our audience. And so that gave me a bit of confidence. But I did, I did ask for you to choose them. I could not choose among my babies what to present. And so tell us, what, what was the first section that you chose and, and why'd you choose this one? Well, first, I can understand why that would be difficult. Um, It is hard when you're writing something to separate from it at all. And I will tell you that I also had a hard time choosing. Um, The the chapter that I was working in, to let everyone Mm -hmm. know, was greetings and introductions. And part of me was really tempted by introductions because it's very etiquette-y. But Mm -hmm. the nature of the content doesn't lend itself to being as good a read as the greeting section. So I found my eye going there and (laughs) I picked a section. I'm going to let you read the title to it, but I chose it because I thought our podcast audience might see a little bit of themselves in it. Ah, okay. So this is the who greets whom section. Who greets whom? We receive this question frequently on the Awesome Etiquette podcast, asking what is the obligation of coworkers and roommates or family to greet each other upon first seeing one another? Does the person in the room greet the person coming into the room? Or does the person entering the space greet the person already in it? What if you don't have much intention of interaction and are indeed just passing through? And do you have to greet people every time you cross paths with them? The things we fret over. The person entering the room generally has the advantage of knowing that there will be a change in the room once they enter and is often thought to be responsible for announcing his arrival. Good morning, one might say breezily to coworkers as they walk into the office kitchen for a morning coffee. That being said, many feel that the person in the room is in some ways considered the host of the space, having been there first, and upon seeing the person who is entering, they should acknowledge this person's entrance and welcome them to the space. Morning, they say as their roommate enters the living room. We have a hopeful here of blank percent of Emily Poe's survey respondents say that they believe blank. We're really hoping at some point to be getting the research done in the book and and actually collect numbers and and blanks to fill these blanks with. (laughs) And that's actually one of the reasons I chose this section. I I was going to say, Dan, how do I read this to the audience? (laughs) It's a note to self. (laughs) Read all notes. And what I liked about it is it showed how the, the interest in the topic is driving the research. Uh, okay, good. Well, yeah, and it does. It does. So we've just said morning, they say, as their roommates enter the living room. Then there is the reality. Sometimes the person in the room is busy and does not notice the person entering. Goodness knows this has caused many a frightful jump or disappointed feeling of being ignored. Other times the person coming in may not be alone and in not stopping to greet the person already in the room, or worse yet, not even notice that someone else is present, may make the person already occupying the room 
feel invisible or imposed upon. Rather than spend much time worrying about who should do what, wink, let us suggest that the good thing to do, no matter who you are in the situation, is to take action and greet someone when you notice them. For those of us walking around as we enter new spaces, it should be our goal to observe, even if briefly, the spaces we walk through or enter and acknowledge those we see. For those already hunkered down in a space, it's important to be aware of your surroundings and look up from time to time. Notice those who enter it, even if just to catch their eye and give a friendly nod. Well done. And good use of the, uh, the, the proper tense of whom. Oh, gosh, I hope so. I know there was there were other mistakes within that. I was as I was reading it, I was even finding little things. I'm like, oh, we could tweak this. Oh, we could edit this. <laughs> Well, I, I won't tell people to send in their edits right now, but um, thank, thank you for sharing an early version. Um, I think we had one more section. We did. What was the other section that you chose? Uh, appropriately, enthusiasm. Ah, okay. Th- this one's kind of fun. I like this section because it gets um, it gets a little bit at some of Emily Post's own thoughts on uh, on greetings. Okay, this section begins. Enthusiasm. Our friendly, chirpy standard, hello, that is formal to the high and certainly formal to the casual hey, yo, or sup, was bemoaned by Emily Post for its informality. Emily appreciated a good, formal greeting. Unlike many today, she wasn't a fan of overly exaggerated greetings. She would likely cringe at some of our emphatic enthusiasm for greeting one another. Too much, indeed. Forced hugs and loud exclamations were not her thing. Best we can tell, Emily found that exaggerated greetings would force the other person to respond in kind, lest it create some kind of a dead thump as the enthusiasm hits the floor, having been met with a tame or even flat, hi. Emily was also careful with language when it came to greetings. She thought saying, I'm delighted when being introduced to someone would force the other person to have to level up to your emotional status. It would impose upon them a declaration of emotion and potential need for it to be returned when no more than names have actually been exchanged and no more than names need be exchanged. Emily's thinking was, how can you be delighted when you've only just met? Once you've spoken for a moment or two, before exiting the conversation, you might say, it's been delightful to meet you, because this may indeed be true. In her technical way, Emily may have posed that if you state your delight at the start and then forget to state it at the end of a greeting, would that mean the introduction was a delight but the conversation not so much? Overthinking has skipped no generation. In today's American culture, we leave room for people to be delighted to be introduced to one another. For there are times when it indeed might be a delight to finally meet your son's boyfriend, whom he has spoken so proudly of for so long, would indeed be a delight. But for everyday quick or in-passing greetings, to force enthusiasm beyond a friendly tone and expression is unnecessary. You do not have to be thrilled, all caps, exclamation points, to have met Colleen in passing while out to lunch with your friend, especially if it is unlikely that you'll cross paths with Colleen again. In fact, you might make Colleen feel overwhelmed. Advice? Take it down a notch, and you can still come across as friendly and welcoming. Now, Dan, the next section is actually a 
a chart on enthusiasm. Okay, and, okay. And let's just pause for a minute here and acknowledge <laughs> that you just said that there is a chart on enthusiasm. <laughs> on enthusiastic greetings, there is a chart. And so enthusiasm kind of levels, yes. Yeah, it's like you get a situation and then you get the bare minimum you need to achieve for a greeting, the appropriate type of greeting, and then something that might might be might be a bit much. <laughs> so so give us a sample. But we don't we we I was going to say we can't read the whole chart but should we do just one of them yeah oh absolutely okay so so the situation is you're stopping a friend or acquaintance in passing and the bare minimum would be that you nod to those you know with a friendly expression if you choose to speak a friendly or neutral hey or hi and the person's name is fine here you're not really stopping but just a walking acknowledgement i see you you see me we know each other if we go to the appropriate greeting during this scenario of stopping a friend or acquaintance in passing, if you're actually stopping, do so out of the flow of pedestrian traffic. If you're taking this much time, it's appropriate to ask if the other person is doing well. And then a bit too much is grabbing the person's arm as you pass by and force hugging them while exclaiming how long it's been and peppering them with questions before even knowing if now is an okay time for them to stop and chat. That would be the range of enthusiastic greetings. And what, I, what I'm liking is it's an application kind of of the sample script thinking oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like very good, situational <laughs> it takes me there totally. okay good good i'm so glad to hear that it's so funny though there are all these different moments that we have in passing with people and um it can range from a total stranger to a colleague that you know works you know in your office but that you don't actually know to seeing a friend to seeing a family member and not being able to stop and talk to them but as you start to kind of break apart all of those moments and the places where they could get awkward or the places where they could feel comfortable um, and you apply Emily's kind of kind of uh, filter of don't you don't have to overdo it. It was really kind of fun jumping in and thinking about what what you might do in a given situation um, and what would feel like way too much. You know, it's like that person you don't know that well, who's like waving their arm frantically and calling out to you from like more than 10 feet away. It's like that that often can feel like a very strange and awkward greeting, given how well you know the person. You know what I mean? Whereas a just like, oh, hey, from from that same 10 foot distance as you pass pass each other can feel really normal. I also, Dan, just saw on one of those listicles somewhere, it was things that people who had moved to America, that it took them a while to get used to. And one of the things was people saying, hey, how's it going as they pass by or even just as they quickly see you and not really intending to hear the answer. So we do a lot of, you know, in passing, hey, how's it going? But you're just, you're you're moving, you're on the go. There is no no intent to say anything more than, good, you too, okay, bye. Like, you know, you don't even finish it sometimes with a goodbye. <laughs> This is me geeking out on introductions, guys. <laughs> no, I know. And it's so I, I could see you down in all of the details. And I, I want to fly you back with a parting thought here. Totally. Was the, one of the things that really struck me about this section was there was this undercurrent, this underlying theme about authenticity. And the, the way I sort of read what you're illustrating with examples of behavior is the idea that when you're regulating a dosage of emotion, something like enthusiasm, 
that authenticity is really important, that it's true to the moment and it's true to you. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of structure you can put around it, but there's this this sort of magic quality that fills up whatever word choice you make with a lot of meaning and, and, and getting it right is, is a question of dosage and it's subtle. And I I like the exploration of that. I like that as a theme and I had been thinking (laughs) about it by itself. And when I hear you talking about it, as you read it, I hear you talk about Emily's voice and some of the previous section, bringing in that Emily's voice. And I, I think about those undercurrents, those things that have always been a part of this tradition. I, I, I'm connecting those two uh, <laughs> ideas as, as we do this postscript. Well, Dan, I'm so relieved that you are enjoying it, that it's inspiring thought, working on it and really trying to bring some of Emily's voice and perspective back into it, but also present modern advice and advice that's really going to make sense for the situations we find ourselves in today is both a really fun task, but it's also no small task. And I'm, I'm glad it's it's coming across well in this section, at least. <laughs> well, good work, Kez, and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you all. I look forward to presenting a full and finished book in 2022. <laughs> oh, manners. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms, and I just want to put out a reminder that we need your etiquette salutes. We know a lot of folks aren't going out too much these days, but when you are, keep an eye out for that good etiquette and write to us about it. So today, we have a note from Lubna via Patreon. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I want to tell you how proud I am of my son. My son is in grade five, and they were having a Beyblade tournament at school. For those who don't know what a Beyblade is, in simple terms, it's a fancy top that you wind up. Two people throw their Beyblades in the stadium, and whoever is the last one standing wins. During the challenge, one of his friends forgot to bring his, and my son offered to lend one of his. While his friend was playing with it, a piece of it broke off. His friend was devastated and was in tears. My son's response was to let him know it was no big deal. The thing was, I had no idea about all of this. I received a call from my son's teacher, and she retold the story to me. She was impressed that he chose to share as well as his positive reaction. When she asked him where he learned to be so compassionate, he said from his mom and dad. That just brought tears to my eyes. I have had my challenges with this son this past year, and so to hear something this positive was very amazing. We and every parent try to instill values in their children, and we don't always see it, but you never know how much they are taking in and absorbing. He doesn't always show this much compassion to his siblings, but I know he has it in him, and I love that he is showing it to the world. My etiquette salute goes to my son. May he always stay this positive. Thank you for reading, and I am liking the new Patreon site. Lubna. Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. I'm, like, tearing up. I am, too. Yikes. I know. (laughs) Oh, all, it's always the ones where people are really proud it's of dusty people. in here. If, if you it's get dusty. it, man. It's, uh, yeah, that's all. That's all. <laughs> and thank you so much for this salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone especially who supports us on Patreon. It is so important to this show. Thank you. Please connect with us and share the show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share your podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. 
On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show was edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and, and Bridget. Bridget.